turn our attention to the actual passage. And we're going to read two passages, actually. Um, so I'm just going to reread, not because Ian didn't read it well, but just it's helpful sometimes to hear something um, again in the light of. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 5. Whoops, excuse me. Luke chapter 5. Uh, verses 12 to 16. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles on the tables at the front. Just go and help yourself. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Amen. And I want to read as well, um, because we're still in Easter. So, John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Um, this is the one week later passage after Jesus had appeared to the disciples in the room in the evening of the first day of the week after he rose. And then Thomas, as we know, was not present. And so, this is the uh, one week later passage now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. And so one Sunday after Easter, we think about three characters. We think about three characters who in different ways have felt excluded by and from other people. We've talked about Paula and the sense of exclusion and difference and otherness that, that she felt as a child with cerebral palsy growing up and not knowing that's what she had and not knowing why she was different and other people uh, treated her differently. But then this man, this leper, who was uh, not just a, a leper, we're told, but was covered with leprosy. Now, the classical marks of leprosy are, uh, uh, they, they can, uh, a change in the skin tone, 
and visible signs of disfigurement, but also because leprosy is a neurological disorder. Effectively, what leprosy does is it causes your nerve endings to fail to send pain signals to your brain. And so, you don't feel pain, and uh, therefore, when you injure yourself, uh, the, the, the injuries can get infected and can get worse. Your skin is vulnerable because uh, your system is compromised. And so, people with leprosy can end up losing uh, fingers and toes from their extremities and, and so on. It causes visible disfigurement and also loss of, uh, loss of uh, limbs eventually, or it can do. Uh, and all sorts then of other problems can set in if it's not uh, dealt with properly. Now, leprosy in the New Testament is used as a kind of blanket term. In the Old Testament, uh, they used the word leprosy when often it was meant to cover a whole gamut of infectious skin diseases, uh, which were not accurately diagnosed uh, at the time, and it wasn't really known what they are. And I'm, I've never read anything, but I'm sure there are people who've gone through uh, Leviticus and diagnosed all the different skin conditions that there are there with a red spot and a yellow spot and a white spot and all the different uh, with hair, without hair, and so on. There's a whole raft of conditions described in all their goriness. Uh, uh, but what we do know was that people with leprosy were required to live outside the community. They were, they were required to uh, stay only with other people who had leprosy, and they were required to um, let other people know the, when they were in the area and when they were coming, so that other people could steer clear of them to avoid contagion. And so we have this man. And then we have Thomas, and it might seem that Thomas uh, is an unlikely candidate to be sitting alongside these other two, except when you consider, and uh, it's only really in recent years that I've stopped to consider what that week was like for Thomas between Jesus rising on the first day of the week and appearing to all the disciples in an upstairs room. There's some emerging realization that something has happened on the course of Easter Sunday. The women have gone to the tomb. The stone's been rolled away. Jesus' body is not there, though the grave clothes are. Uh, Mary reports having met Jesus. The two disciples on the Emmaus Road meet Jesus in the afternoon towards the evening. Uh, when they realize in the breaking of bread that it is Jesus, they rush back to Jerusalem to where, where the 11 disciples are, and they say, we've seen the Lord. But the 11 disciples are already saying the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So there's another appearance that is not documented to Simon Peter. And so there's rumors of appearances of Jesus. And then Jesus appears with 10 of the 11 remaining disciples in this room where they're locked away together and shows them his hands and his side and says, peace be with you, and allows them to touch him, even though he'd appeared amongst them, yet was solid to their touch. And then disappears again. And then Judas at some point would have come back and, and heard this story, heard his 10 friends that he spent the past three years with, telling him all at once, no doubt, in excited terms about exactly just what had happened. And there's Thomas, the only one of the 11, wondering why Jesus chose the moment to appear when he was out at the shops or whatever it was that he was doing. And there's Thomas wondering why when Jesus 
If Jesus is the Son of God or the Messiah, if His knowledge and His power are so extensive, why exactly did Jesus choose that moment before I was there in order to appear? So, does that say something about me, Thomas, that Jesus appears to the ten when I'm not there? Am I another Judas, but I just don't know it myself? Am I not really part anymore of the group? Is there some reason why Jesus chose that moment? Was it just coincidence and happenstance that I wasn't in the room? And that's always assuming, of course, and of course the passage doesn't really let us assume, that's always assuming that, that, uh, that Thomas believed what the others said, because actually what the Bible tells us is that Thomas' problem was that he didn't believe or wasn't prepared to believe unless he saw for himself. I find it quite interesting, actually. Uh, John, uh, sorry, Thomas doesn't get many lines in the New Testament, but uh, he does get some lines in uh, chapter 9. He's quoted uh, in the, um, sorry, it's not chapter 9, it's chapter 6. Oh, that's terrible. There you go. It's chapter 14. Chapter 14, 1 to 9. That's where the 9 came from. Where Jesus comforts his disciples. And verse 5, so Jesus in verse 4 or verse 3 says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And it's to Thomas that Jesus answers and gives that uh, fantastic declaration, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Thomas is the one who likes to know things. <laughs> he likes to know facts and certainties. He likes information. He likes things to be solid, reliable, and predictable. And don't palm me off with vague um, things about, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Well, no, I don't know, actually. So unless you tell me, I won't know. And so likewise, when the others say, oh, Jesus was here, and we touched him, and we saw him, he says, well, unless I see for myself, I'm not prepared to believe. And so there's an external refusal, if you like, on Thomas's part, who likes the facts and the certainties, the proof and the information. He's a kind of archetypal um, scientist, engineer, mathematician type. He's your, you know, kind of, is that left brain? Yes, he's a kind of left brain sort of bloke. But I wonder if there's a bit of Thomas that is left wondering either there's a reason why Jesus appeared when I wasn't there, or the other possibility, of course, is that these 10 so-called friends of mine that I've spent the past three years with have just agreed to tell a big fat lie. I mean, why really is Thomas saying, I am not prepared to believe unless I see? Well, yes, because he's a man of facts and science and proof and information. But even science 
develops, as people posit, theories that are likely to be true, and then they chase the evidence to back up the theory, right? That's how science develops and advances. So if you've got 10 individual people who you know and trust who are all saying, we've seen the risen Lord, that's a reasonable basis for a theory. Thomas is now looking for the proof that goes behind the theory. And for an entire week, Thomas is an outsider, an outsider to the evidence, an outsider to the experience, an outsider apparently, it seems, to Jesus, inclusive, welcome and embrace of the other ten, where he came and said to them, peace be with you. And so we have these three people. This man who was a physical, literal outsider to his community. And I can't imagine what it was like to live in a colony of lepers, how he contracted it. Did he already have a wife and kids? Was he now excluded from being part of his wider family circle and community? I would have thought he would have been. And that if he didn't actually have his own wife and kids, then at the very least he would have had brothers and sisters and nephews and nieces and cousins and so on. That, you know, big Mediterranean, South Mediterranean family setup that was the Hebrew way, was the Jewish way. And so the only people he gets to hang out with are people like him who are diseased and living without hope. And so as if it's bad enough to be physically marked out by your disease and to suffer the discomfort and disfigurement of all of that, there weren't a, a number of mirrors around, so he probably didn't have too much of an idea of what he looked like in his face, but he would certainly have been able to see the impact on the rest of his body. Forced to disclose your condition to everyone you meet. Forced to suffer social and spiritual and religious exclusion, because if you were unclean, you couldn't worship in the synagogue, far less go to the temple. And so, we read of this man who was covered with leprosy, covered with leprosy. And this is a really severe case. And he comes, and I there were lots of people who came and fell with their face to the ground. I would imagine for a man with a disfigured face and a disfigured appearance, falling with your face to the ground was a way of hiding yourself out of the shame and the embarrassment and the stigma of it all, and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And so Thomas, uh, sorry, this man had faith, certainly, but what he didn't have in his life was hope. He had enough faith from what he'd heard of what Jesus had done for other people to come and throw himself on the mercy of Jesus. And Jesus' response is simple, powerful, and profound. He did that which no other unclean person had been willing to do, arguably for years, which was to actually touch the man. All sorts of fears of contamination. I was away Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week uh, running an assessment conference for ministry applicants, and I'm not going to tell you where I was staying, but we were away staying in a conference center that we use, and the reason I'm going to tell you is because I woke up on Thursday morning in my bed itching. 
It's never a good feeling. I realized that I had been itching a little from the day before, but now I was itching. Ankles, legs, arms. I thought, mm, this is not good. So anyway, I showered. I disposed of my pajamas. <laughs> Fortunately, all my gear had been on the other single bed in the twin bedded room. So I reported what I had experienced to the staff who, in all fairness, were very diligent and responsive, and how could they know unless someone could tell them, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, you see, you're all starting to scratch. I can see it. <laughs> but what was interesting to me was the reaction of my, my colleague, Angie. Angie is delightful. She's a staff member in Ministries Council, and she's involved in running the assessment process. And so I was telling her about my bites and my itching. Uh, and, and all of that day, she was like, oh, keep away, keep away, as though I had the plague or something. Now, it was funny, and we made a joke of it, and it was just one day. But translate that into your whole life. Everybody's saying, keep away, keep away, keep away. I don't want what you've got. And Jesus crossed an uncrossable boundary that had been in place for this man for years and reached out and touched him. The significance of touch is massive. The power of touch is colossal. Children and babies that are not nurtured with lots of touch, affection, being held, being cuddled, being embraced, actually do not thrive. I'm sure we've all seen film footage, or if you're old enough, you'll remember when uh, the Ceausescus were executed and Romania uh, opened up to the West, and there were all of these orphanages full of stunted children rocking in cots, and one of the biggest impairing factors in their lives had just been the lack of physical touch and nurture. Yes, there were shortages and there was deprivation of, of food and, and nutrition and all sorts of other things, but it was the nurture of touch that was missing. Touch is important and it does things. Obviously, it has to be within appropriate boundaries and permissions and all the rest of it. And Jesus said, with his lips and with his hand, I am willing and communicated grace, healing, and power to a man who had been on the outside, and immediately the leprosy brought him in. And then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go yourself, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, I don't think for a minute Jesus meant never tell anybody about this. I mean, let's be real here. If this man has been healed and he was covered with leprosy, then either people who knew him aren't going to rescue, recognize or know him at all, or of course the first question they're going to ask when they see that he's completely healed and he's got new skin and transformed is, what happened to you? <laughs> and he's not going to say, sorry, I can't tell you. Sorry, it's a secret. What is it that Jesus is telling him to do? 
Here's a man who's been deprived of human company. Here's a man who's been deprived of community. Here's a man who has been deprived of fellowship and family and all of the, the people in his life that he would otherwise have had unknown. The temptation to rush back into that community and to seek relationship with people first and foremost was understandably overwhelming. And Jesus said, before you do that, go and thank God. Before you do that, stop and recognize that this is the gift and the grace of God and that it's to Him that you go first. It's to Him that you go first because He is the one who has touched you and healed you. He is the one to whom you render your thanks. And Paula, in her moving video interview, was describing the challenges that she's faced over the years where people have wanted things from her. And because she probably grew up to the age of 12 not understanding why the other kids didn't want to play with her, and she maybe experienced a certain amount of exclusion herself, I can understand why Paula would have a heart and a desire for people to want her and like her and, and welcome her and include her. If you've experienced that kind of exclusion in your formative years, you can very easily spend the rest of your life chasing after the approval of people. And actually, people are always going to disappoint you. People are always going to let you down. People are not your salvation. They play a vital and important part in your life, and you will in theirs. But Jesus is your Savior. People are not. And people will get it wrong. And for this man, he might have longed to be back amongst his family and his community. But you know what? When he got there, he would very quickly discover that kids can be annoying, that family can get on your nerves, and that people round about you are maybe not the golden idol that you fantasize that they would be if you could just get out of this leper colony. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it was Jesus who gave him hope. And a week later, after Thomas had wrestled with whatever feelings of hurt, rejection, exclusion, confusion, disappointment, anger, whatever was going on in his heart as he struggled to be, no doubt, to some extent, with the ten who had this inner secret that he was excluded from, Jesus came just for him. Just for him. Why he did it that way is between Thomas and Jesus, and it's none of our business except that for all that Thomas was excluded at the time, Jesus knew what had happened and how he felt about it. And no doubt in the grand scheme of the outworking of Thomas's faith in his life, it played a part. But Jesus came for Thomas and spoke his name and showed him his hands and his side and challenged him and challenged him not to hope, which was the gift that he gave the man with leprosy, but to faith. To believe even when you haven't seen. To believe your mates, if ten of them are telling you something, and you stubbornly refuse to believe it, well, that's not good science. <laughs> I mean, it's not good faith, but it's not good science either. If ten people say they've seen something, it's reasonable to believe that actually they're telling the truth, unless you've got very good grounds to, to think them all suddenly liars. And so Thomas, the fruit of his week was the gift of faith. 
where Jesus challenges you in the times and seasons where it seems that everybody else is having a relationship with God or an experience with Him, or their prayer life is going really well, or they're sensing a real closeness, and for you, it's just a big fat nothing. Your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Life couldn't be worse. Things are going from bad to worse. Where is He? Well, it's maybe just the wrong week. And what Jesus is doing with other people is what He's doing with other people. But His call and His challenge to you when it looks like there's nothing going on or you're frustrated or He seems far away is, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Do not lose heart or hope. The leper was in the colony a long time before Jesus healed him. Thomas only had a week of anguish and uncertainty, but at the right time for him, Jesus came and revealed himself in a very personal way. And Thomas could have the satisfaction thereafter of knowing that Jesus echoed and mirrored precisely his visit one week ago, and the only difference between the two was Thomas. So where the week before he'd been excluded, now he'd been spectacularly and specifically and uniquely included. And there have been moments in your life where you've heard Jesus call your name and you've known that whoever else is in the room, it's between him and you in that moment. And that's your Thomas moment. And there have been other times when you've been in the room and other people have been whooping it up and you felt nothing. Well, that was the week before. That was their Thomas moment. You know, you walk this walk with Jesus. Do not put your eyes on other people. And so three characters, one contemporary and two in the New Testament, but all of them having in common an experience of being either physically or emotionally excluded in some way or another. And Jesus came to Thomas, and he gave him the gift of faith. And Jesus came to the leper and gave him the gift of hope. And Jesus came to Paula and gave her the gift of love. The gift of love, of peace and relationship with him, and of an understanding of our desire or calling to love and serve other people because Jesus has loved her. But to find the difference between loving people out of obedience and loving people to earn favor or friendship. And that's what she's still working on. I don't know what you're still working on. I know what I'm still working on. We've not arrived. The grace of God expresses itself in faith, in hope, in love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. And He loves you, and He knows your name. And this may be, a, 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 be or have been a week of uh, empty frustration or disappointment, or it may have been a week of uh, euphoric post-Easter resurrection certainty. Hallelujah, that's great. But each of us is called as a community to walk individually, to know that Jesus knows who you are, where you are, and how it is with you, that He loves you, and that whatever it is you might feel or have felt excluded from, if you call on His name as He calls your name, then know that you are included because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He knows your name. And for that, rejoice and give thanks. Let's pray together.